0: Chapter 48, Part 1 of Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit by Charles Dickens. Chapter 48 bears tidings of Martin and of Mark, as well as of a third person not quite unknown to the reader exhibits filial piety in an ugly aspect, and casts a doubtful ray of light upon a very dark place. Part One. Tom Pinch and Ruth were sitting at their early breakfast with the window open, and a row of the freshest little plants ranged before it on the inside by Ruth's own hands. And Ruth had fastened a sprig of geranium in Tom's buttonhole to make him very smart and summer-like for the day it was obliged to be fastened in, or that dear old Tom was certain to lose it. And people were crying flowers up and down the street, and a blundering bee who had got himself in between the two sashes of the window was bruising his head against the glass, endeavouring to force himself out into the fine morning, and considering himself enchanted because he couldn't do it. And the morning was as fine a morning as ever was seen, and the fragrant air was kissing Ruth and rustling about Tom, as if it said, "'How are you, my dears? I came all this way on purpose to salute you.' And it was one of those glad times when we form, or ought to form, the wish that every one on earth were able to be happy, and catching glimpses of the summer of the heart to feel the beauty of the summer of the year. It was even a pleasanter breakfast than usual, and it was always a pleasant one— For little Ruth had now two pupils to attend, each three times a week, and each two hours at a time. And besides this, she had painted some screens and card-racks, and, unknown to Tom, was there ever anything so delightful, had walked into a certain shop, which dealt in such articles, after often peeping through the window, and had taken courage to ask the mistress of that shop whether she would buy them. And the mistress had not only bought them, but had ordered more and that very morning Ruth had made confession of these facts to Tom, and had handed him the money in a little purse she had worked expressly for the purpose. They had been in a flutter about this, and perhaps had shed a happy tear or two, for anything the history knows to the contrary. But it was all over now, and a brighter face than Tom's, or a brighter face than Ruth's, the bright sun had not looked on since he went to bed last night.' "'My dear girl,' said Tom, coming so abruptly on the subject "'that he interrupted himself in the act of cutting a slice of bread "'and left the knife sticking in the loaf, "'what a queer fellow our landlord is. "'I don't believe he has been home once "'since he got me into that unsatisfactory scrape. "'I begin to think he will never come home again. "'What a mysterious life that man does lead, to be sure.' "'Very strange, is it not, Tom?' "'Really,' said Tom, "'I hope it is only strange.' "'I hope there may be nothing wrong in it. "'Sometimes I begin to be doubtful of that. "'I must have an explanation with him,' said Tom, "'shaking his head as if this were a most tremendous threat, "'when I can catch him.' "'A short double knock at the door "'put Tom's menacing looks to flight, "'and awakened an expression of surprise instead. "'Heyday,' said Tom. "'An early hour for visitors. "'It must be John, I suppose.' "'I—I don't think it was his knock, Tom,' "'observed his little sister.' "'No?' said Tom. "'It surely can't be my employer suddenly arrived in town, directed here by Mr. Phipps, and come for the key of the office.' "'It's somebody inquiring for me,' I declare. "'Come in, if you please.' But when the person came in, Tom Pinch, instead of saying, "'Did you wish to speak with me, sir?' or, "'My name is Pinch, sir. What is your business, may I ask?' or addressing him in any such distant terms, cried out, Good gracious heaven! and seized him by both hands with the liveliest manifestations of astonishment and pleasure. The visitor was not less moved than Tom himself, and they shook hands a great many times without another word being spoken on either side. Tom was the first to find his voice. Mark Tapley, too! said Tom, running towards the door and shaking hands with somebody else. "'My dear Mark, come in. How are you, Mark? "'He don't look a day older than he used to at the dragon. "'How are you, Mark?' "'Uncommonly jolly, sir, thank returned Mr. Tapley, all smiles and bows. "'I hope I see you well, sir.' "'Good gracious me!' cried Tom, patting him tenderly on the back. "'How delightful it is to hear his old voice again. "'My dear Martin, sit down. My sister, Martin. Mr. Chuzzlewit, my love.' "'Mark Tapley from the Dragon, my dear. Good gracious me, what a surprise this is! Sit down! Lord bless me!' Tom was in such a state of excitement that he couldn't keep himself still for a moment, but was constantly running between Mark and Martin, shaking hands with them alternately, and presenting them over and over again to his sister. "'I remember the day we parted, Martin, as well as if it were yesterday,' said Tom. "'What a day it was! And what a passion you were in!' "'And don't you remember my overtaking you in the road that morning, Mark, "'when I was going to Salisbury in the gig to fetch him, "'and you were looking out for a situation? "'And don't you recollect the dinner we had at Salisbury, Martin, "'with John Westlock, eh? "'Good gracious me! Ruth, my dear, Mr. Chuzzlewit, "'Mark Tapley, my love, from the Dragon. "'More cups and saucers, if you please. "'Bless my soul, how glad I am to see you both!' "'And then Tom, as John Westlock had done on his arrival— ran off to the loaf to cut some bread and butter for them, and before he had spread a single slice remembered something else, and came running back again to tell it, and then he shook hands with them again, and then he introduced his sister again, and then he did everything he had done already all over again, and nothing Tom could do and nothing Tom could say was half sufficient to express his joy at their safe return. Mr. Tapley was the first to resume his composure. In a very short space of time, he was discovered to have somehow installed himself in office as waiter or attendant upon the party. A fact which was first suggested to them by his temporary absence in the kitchen and speedy return with a kettle of boiling water from which he replenished the teapot with a self-possession that was quite his own. Sit down and take your breakfast, Mark said Tom make him sit down and take his breakfast, Martin. Oh, I gave him up long ago is incorrigible, Martin replied. "'He takes his own way, Tom. "'You would excuse him, Miss Pinch, if you knew his value.' "'She knows it, bless you,' said Tom. "'I have told her all about Mark Tapley. "'Have I not, Ruth?' "'Yes, Tom.' "'Not all,' returned Martin, in a low voice. "'The best of Mark Tapley is only known to one man, Tom, "'and but for Mark he would hardly be alive to tell it.' "'Mark!' said Tom Pinch, energetically. "'If you don't sit down this minute, I'll swear at you.' "'Well, sir,' returned Mr. Tapley, "'sooner than you should do that, I'll comply. "'It's a considerable invasion of a man's jollity to be made so particular welcome. "'But a verb is a word as signifies to be, to do, or to suffer, "'which is all the grammar, and enough, too, as ever I was taught. "'And if there's a worb alive, I'm it, for I'm always a bein, "'sometimes a doin, and continually a sufferin.' "'Not jolly yet?' asked Tom, with a smile." "'Why, I was rather so over the water, sir,' returned Mr. Tapley, "'and not entirely without credit. But human nader is in a conspiracy agin me. I can't get on. I shall have to leave it in my will, sir, to be wrote upon my tomb. He was a man as might have come out strong if he could have got a chance, but it was denied him.' Mr. Tapley took this occasion of looking about him with a grin, and subsequently attacking the breakfast— with an appetite not at all expressive of blighted hopes or insurmountable despondency in the meanwhile martin drew his chair a little nearer to tom and his sister and related to them what had passed at mr pecksniff's house adding in few words a general summary of the distresses and disappointments he had undergone since he left england for your faithful stewardship and the trust i left with you tom he said and for all your goodness and disinterestedness i can never thank you enough when i add mary's thanks to mine "'Ah, Tom! The blood retreated from his cheeks "'and came rushing back so violently that it was pain to feel it. "'Ease, though, ease compared with the aching of his wounded heart. "'When I add Mary's thanks to mine,' said Martin, "'I have made the only poor acknowledgment it is in our power to offer. "'But if you knew how much we feel, Tom, "'you would set some store by it, I am sure.' "'And if they had known how much Tom felt, "'but that no human creature ever knew.' They would have set some store by him. Indeed, they would. Tom changed the topic of discourse. He was sorry he could not pursue it, as it gave Martin pleasure, but he was unable at that moment. No drop of envy or bitterness was in his soul, but he could not master the firm utterance of her name. He inquired what Martin's projects were. "'No longer to make your fortune, Tom,' said Martin, "'but to try to live. "'I tried that once in London, Tom, and failed.' If you will give me the benefit of your advice and friendly counsel, I may succeed better under your guidance. I will do anything, Tom, anything to gain a livelihood by my own exertions. My hopes do not soar above that now. High-hearted, noble Tom. Sorry to find the pride of his old companion humbled, and to hear him speaking in this altered strain at once. At once he drove from his breast the inability to contend with its deep emotions, and spoke out bravely. "'Your hopes do not soar above that,' cried Tom. "'Yes, they do. How can you talk so? "'They soar up to the time when you will be happy with her, Martin. "'They soar up to the time when you will be able to claim her, Martin. "'They soar up to the time when you will not be able to believe "'that you were ever cast down in spirit or poor in pocket, Martin. "'Advice and friendly counsel. "'Why, of course, but you shall have better advice and counsel, "'though you cannot have more friendly than mine. "'You shall consult John Westlock.' will go there immediately. It is yet so early that I shall have time to take you to his chambers before I go to business. They are in my way, and I can leave you there to talk over your affairs with him. So come along, come along. I am a man of occupation now, you know,' said Tom, with his pleasantest smile, and have no time to lose. "'Your hopes don't soar higher than that? I dare say they don't. I know you pretty well. They'll be soaring out of sight soon, Martin, and leaving all the rest of us leagues behind.' Aye, but I may be a little changed said martin since you knew me pretty well, Tom. What nonsense exclaimed Tom, why should you be changed? You talk as if you were an old man. I never heard such a fellow come to John Westlock's. Come, come along, Mark Tapley. It's Mark's doing, I have no doubt, and it serves you right for having such a grumbler for your companion. There's no credit to be got through being jolly with you, Mr. Pinch, anyways, said Mark, with his face all wrinkled up with grins. A parish doctor might be jolly with you. There's nothing short of going to the United States for a second trip as would make it at all creditable to be jolly arter seeing you again. Tom laughed, and taking leave of his sister, hurried Mark and Martin out into the street and away to John Westlock's by the nearest road, for his hour of business was very near at hand, and he prided himself on always being exact to his time. John Westlock was at home, but, strange to say, was rather embarrassed to see them, and when Tom was about to go into the room where he was breakfasting, said he had a stranger there. It appeared to be a mysterious stranger, for John shut that door as he said it and led them into the next room. He was very much delighted, though, to see Mark Tapley, and received Martin with his own frank courtesy. But Martin felt that he did not inspire John Westlock with any unusual interest, and twice or thrice observed that he looked at Tom Pinch doubtfully, not to say compassionately. He thought, and blushed to think, that he knew the cause of this. "'I apprehend you are engaged,' said Martin, when Tom had announced the purport of their visit. "'If you will allow me to come again at your own time, I shall be glad to do so.' "'I am engaged,' replied John, with some reluctance. "'But the matter on which I am engaged is one to say the truth more immediately demanding your knowledge than mine.' "'Indeed,' cried Martin." It relates to a member of your family, and is of a serious nature. If you will have the kindness to remain here, it will be a satisfaction to me to have it privately communicated to you, in order that you may judge of its importance for yourself. And in the meantime, said Tom, I must really take myself off, without any further ceremony. "'Is your business so very particular?' asked Martin, "'that you cannot remain with us for half an hour. "'I wish you could. What is your business, Tom?' It was Tom's turn to be embarrassed now, but he plainly said, after a little hesitation, "'Why, I am not at liberty to say what it is, Martin, though I hope soon to be in a condition to do so, and am aware of no other reason to prevent my doing so now than the request of my employer. It's an awkward position to be placed in,' said Tom, with an uneasy sense of seeming to doubt his friend, as I feel every day. But I really cannot help it, can I, John?' John Westlock replied in the negative. And Martin, expressing himself perfectly satisfied, begged them not to say another word, though he could not help wondering very much what curious office Tom held, and why he was so secret, and embarrassed, and unlike himself, in reference to it. Nor could he help reverting to it, in his own mind, several times after Tom went away, which he did, as soon as this conversation was ended, taking Mr. Tapley with him, who, as he laughingly said, might accompany him as far as Fleet Street without injury." "'And what do you mean to do, Mark?' asked Tom, as they walked on together. "'Mean to do, sir?' returned Mr. Tapley. "'Aye, what course of life do you mean to pursue?' "'Well, sir,' said Mr. Tapley, "'the fact is that I have been a-thinking, rather, of the matrimonial line, sir.' "'You don't say so, Mark,' cried Tom. "'Yes, sir, I've been a-turnin' of it over.' "'And who is the lady, Mark?' "'The witch, sir?' said Mr. Tapley. "'The lady.' "'Come, you know what I said,' replied Tom, laughing, as well as I do. Mr. Tapley suppressed his own inclination to laugh, and with one of his most whimsically twisted looks replied, "'You couldn't guess, I suppose, Mr. Pinch?' "'How is it possible?' said Tom. "'I don't know any of your flames, Mark. Except Mrs. Lupin, indeed.' "'Well, sir,' retorted Mr. Tapley, in supposing it was her." Tom, stopping in the street to look at him, Mr. Tapley for a moment presented to his view an utterly stolid and expressionless face, a perfect dead wall of countenance, but opening window after window in it with astonishing rapidity, and lighting them all up as for a general illumination, he repeated, supposing, for the sake of argument, as it was her, sir. "'Why, I thought such a connection wouldn't suit you, Mark, on any terms,' cried Tom. "'Well, sir, I used to think so myself once,' said Mark. "'But I ain't so clear about it now. A dear sweet creature, sir.' "'A dear sweet creature! To be sure she is!' cried Tom. "'But she always was a dear sweet creature, was she not?' "'Was she not?' assented Mr. Tapley. "'Then why on earth didn't you marry her at first, Mark, "'instead of wandering abroad and losing all this time, "'and leaving her alone by herself, liable to be courted by other people?' "'Why, sir,' retorted Mr. Tapley, in a spirit of unbounded confidence, "'I'll tell you how it come about. "'You know me, Mr. Pinch, sir. "'There ain't a gentleman alive as knows me better. "'You're acquainted with my constitution, and you're acquainted with my weakness. "'My constitution is to be jolly, and my weakness is to wish to find a credit in it. "'Wery good, sir. "'In this state of mind I gets a notion in my head that she looks on me with the eye of—' "'With what you may call a favourable sort of eye, in fact,' said Mr. Tapley, with modest hesitation. "'No doubt,' replied Tom. "'We knew that perfectly well when we spoke on this subject long ago, before you left the dragon.' Mr. Tapley nodded assent. "'Well, sir, but, being at that time full of hopeful visions, "'I arrives at the conclusion that no credit is to be got out of such a way of life as that "'where everything agreeable would be ready to one's hand.' Looking on the bright side of human life, in short, one of my hopeful visions is that there's a deal of misery awaiting for me, in the midst of which I may come out tolerable strong, and be jolly under circumstances as reflects some credit. I goes into the world, sir, very buoyant, and I tries this. I goes aboard ship first, and very soon discovers, by the ease with which I'm jolly, mind you, as there's no credit to be got there. I might have took warning by this and gave it up, but I didn't, I gets to the United States, and then I do begin—I won't deny it—to feel some little credit in sustaining my spirits. What follows? Just as I'm a-beginning to come out, and am a-treadin' on the words, my master deceives me. "'Deceives you?' cried Tom. "'Swindles me,' retorted Mr. Tapley, with a beaming face, turns his back on everything as made his service a creditable one, and leaves me high and dry without a leg to stand upon.' in which state I returns home, wery good. Then all my hopeful visions bein' crushed, and findin' that there ain't no credit for me nowhere, I abandons myself to despair, and says, Let me do that as has the least credit in it of all, marry a dear sweet creeter as is wery fond of me, me bein' at the same time wery fond of her, lead a happy life, and struggle no more agin' the blight which settles on my prospects.' "'If your philosophy, Mark,' said Tom, who laughed heartily at this speech, "'be the oddest I ever heard of, it is not the least wise. "'Mrs. Lupin has said yes, of course.' "'Why, no, sir,' replied Mr. Tapley. "'She hasn't gone so far as that yet, "'which I attribute principally to my not having asked her. "'But we was very agreeable together. "'Comfortable, I may say, the night I come home. "'It's all right, sir.' "'Well,' said Tom, stopping at the temple gate, "'I wish you joy, Mark, with all my heart.' I shall see you again to-day, I dare say. Good-bye for the present. Good-bye, sir. Good-bye, Mr. Pinch, he added, by way of soliloquy, as he stood looking after him. Although you are a damper to a honourable ambition, you little think it. But you was the first to dash my hopes. Pecksniff would have built me up for life, but your sweet temper pulled me down. Good-bye, Mr. Pinch. End of Chapter 48 Part 1